Welcome to In the Eyes Up. For the third episode of the Pride series, we are joined by Antonio Davila Garza, who shares with us his experience in the LGTB community in Mexico. Antonio, welcome to In the Eyes Up. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your personal story? Yes. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Antonio Davila Garza. I am 19 years old at the time of filming this. I am from Moncloa, Coahuila, which is in northern Mexico. I am currently studying my second semester of architecture at Tecnológico de Monterrey. And I identify as someone who would label themselves as bisexual. And I am my pronouns are he, they. The way in which I realized this part of me about my sexuality, I was around 12 years old, 12, 13 years old, when I like started to like rediscover this part of myself. Because as I told you in, in the Spanish episode, I think I already knew when I was like five, I used to dress up like in towels and use them like as wigs and dresses and be dancing like, Like, yes, I am a princess. And, <laughs> and after, like, when I started to notice that people would laugh at me because of it, I repressed that, of course. And it wasn't until, like, one specific moment in which I realized, like, yeah, no, like, I, I think I, I, do, I do fit here. Like, I think I might not be straight where I began to, like, actually look into it and work myself through embracing it, embracing this part of myself. And before that, because you mentioned you were around 12 years old when you finally, well, not finally, but when you figure it out. So did you have any misconceptions or ideas of what bisexual was, or did you just sort of researched into it and started learning from it? I had, well, when I first started like to like realize you know, extract this part of myself again. Uh, I didn't know there was, like, the option of bisexuality, per se. Like, I didn't know exactly if bisexuality was a thing. So I was just, like, I thought you could either be straight or gay. And the way in which I was shown what gay people were was just, like, Imagine, like, everything that I saw was just, like, I don't know, like, pole dancing. And, like, this, like, very hypersexual, hyper-feminine way of life. How do I say it? Hyper-stereotypical. So, like, a hyper-stereotypical way of life. And I was like, I don't identify with that, but I definitely don't identify with being straight either. Like... I, let's say, like, I was not all the way there, but also not all the way here. And, like, by doing BuzzFeed quizzes and, like, <laughs> at, like, researching, like, what happens if I like both men and women? And that, like, what is that? What is that? Like, wh how can I call that? And that's when I figure it out, like, oh, okay, like, I identify with this the best. I think this is like what could define how I feel 
or how I perceive the world around me. Well, not how I perceive the world around me. I don't see the world as, like, bisexual. <laughs> More like, I just, like, you know, how, how do I feel towards my sexual orientation and my sexual expression? Okay, I see. And that's really interesting because I think from a really young age, we all have this perception of what we like, what we don't like. So I wanted to ask you, because in the Spanish episode, you were saying like these experiences that you had, like with the church, given that your school was like very Catholic, like from this system of school. So I wanted to know if you wanted to talk more about this in this version of the episode. Yeah. So, ooh. <laughs> It was a very, I would say, like, it was a very toxic environment for anyone who does not fit the, like, like, the, I would, I would dare say, like, the, the, the stereotype of the rich, white, religious, uh, missionary kid. Like, if you didn't fit that, it was not going to be the best environment for you. And, of course, like, within that stereotype, you would also be assumed to be heterosexual. So when I started to like figure out, huh, I, I might not just like women, I might like men. I, in fact, I discovered first that I liked men and then I discovered that I like women too. So as I was discovering that I liked men, that I was attracted to men, I think my school was like figuring this out as well. <laughs> like, and I mean, Again, it was not that, like, it shouldn't come off as a surprise when you, like, when you saw me as a kid. It would be, like, in my opinion, I think it was, like, kind of, like, kind of clear. I wouldn't say crystal clear, but maybe kind of clear. Like, you could get the idea. But what my school decided to do was to, like, set me as far away as possible from their capabilities from girls. You know, it's like, you know, like, boys are supposed to be tough and girls are supposed to be like sweet and you're a boy you're not supposed to be sweet you're not supposed to be like playing rope and i'm like playing rope like what i re i do remember thinking like i just want to play rope and they're like no you're supposed to play soccer or like i wanted to be in the like in the school journal i wanted to like write or like you know like make publicity for it or like participate in some way They're like, no, because you're a boy and boys are not supposed to be creative. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so really just reinforcing these stereotypes, not only of gen of sexuality, uh, but gender. Yeah, gender roles. And they're like also assuming like there's only like also the assumption of there just being two genders. And you no, know, there really isn't. And like, you know, there's a gender is a whole spectrum. I would, I I'd say, like, a whole spectrum of identity and possibilities for the for the person which to identify in. So, like, to reinforce the binary is just, it's ridiculous. And, you know, like, even if you look at, like, indigenous cultures from all around the world, you will see that, like, their way of expressing gender very rarely comes across as, like, just the binary That's just, like, a European, I'd say, European colonialist way of thinking that spread around the world like a disease, and now here we are. But uh, with, like, going back to my school, 
uh, it got to the point in which they one time called my parents to tell them that I was having like interesting behaviors. Like I was have like something that should be looked into. And not in the sense that it was like, like, oh, I don't know, like, sometimes he looks, like, at the sky and starts, like, speaking, like, I don't know, like, weird prayers. It was not, it was not like, like, maybe he's possessed. No, it was more like, maybe he's gay and that's not cool with us. So maybe you should get that checked. And my parents were trying to be, like, as cool as possible with, like, with that. Uh, they still... I, I mean, they still had to take me, like, the school requested them to. So, they took me to a psychologist all the way to Monterrey. And, I mean, he was great. He just told me, like, like, I don't, like, just do these activities. Like, it was, like, like, how many squares do you see here? Like, you know, like, psycho, I don't know how to say it in English, psicopedagogia. Like, I don't know how to say it. Either, but it's like psychology Either. for kids, basically. <laughs> yeah, psychology for kids. And, it, like, by the end, he just asked me, like, so, they say, like, your parents told me that you were speaking, like, more with girls than with boys. And I'm like, yeah. He was like, okay. And that was it. <laughs> and that was, like, that gave me, like, such a sense of comfort that, I, like, I still feel to this day because like what that taught me is I don't have to justify myself to anyone about who I hang out with or like for who I am because I just am and I should just be allowed to be because I'm a human being because I'm a living creature no definitely and I think I mean it's like you said it doesn't fit in with the stereotype of the white missionary Catholic person and that's why we have like this really big problem in Mexico when it comes to tolerance and just diversity. I was gonna ask you, so how do you find the LGBTQ plus community in Mexico for all of our international listeners? Because of course these communities change depending on where you are in the world. And I can imagine the community in Monclova is much different than the community in Monterrey too. Oh absolutely. Um When I finished, like, at some point in middle school, I was, like, I went from, like, I have to stay here. Like, I, I have to go all the way to, like, like high school, finish high school, graduate with all of my classmates. And, you know, like, do, like, I don't know, like, I was trying to force myself into the lifestyle that I could never get to. And then, like, from from one moment to another for like a very it was a very stupid like thing that happened but that little thing just made me switch like 180 from i have to stay here to i have to leave here <laughs> i have to leave from here so when like i i just started to like apply anywhere i was trying to like apply to uh, schools in america And I applied to a school in Monterrey, part of, like, the high school, uh, high school program inside, like, the college to which I go to right now in Tecnológico de Monterrey. And so I applied, I was accepted, and I 
went there like as as soon as possible. Like once I finished uh middle school, I I was there like, you know, like looking for a house or like an apartment to live with, like to live there with someone, anyone like just to, like run away. And I thought I was just like doing it to like I was like, okay, I'm going to start like a new chapter of my life. And I it didn't hit me like that I was in a new place until like the first day of school. When I like like I sat down and they like and the teacher told us like, "Welcome to Fundamentals of Life." I was like, "Oh. <laughs> I'm in my first biology class somewhere I have never been before." And I I I took the I didn't take the change like badly. In fact, I I was really adapted to it like very quickly. And the thing I think that was be- because in this new school I was allowed to be myself and like the I wasn't afraid of being myself. Like I think I as soon as I stepped out of my hometown, I began to express myself aggressively, I would say. <laughs> and I loved it. And the thing is in in Monterrey I did find a support group which I although I I do have friends from Moncloa I I wouldn't say I actually found like quite a support group or maybe not as big as the group that I found in Monterrey and I knew that in Monterrey I could like I I didn't have to just be myself like in my room or in my house i could be myself like wherever i wanted and if anyone had a problem with that like well tell it to my face you know <laughs> although i would feel more comfortable in monterrey because of like whether you like i think it's because like since monterrey is a big a bigger city people people are somewhat forced to be a little bit more open And if you ask someone from from Monterrey, they will tell you like, "Oh, no, Monterrey is so conservative. Like, it's so like like no way you could like do that." And I'm like, "You have no idea. <laughs> you have Yeah, I think sometimes we forget that Monterrey it's actually the third biggest city in all exactly. of Mexico. Exactly. Like people a lot of people from Monterrey tend to forget like the privilege in which they're in. I mean, they see the problem. If like I think like if you're placed at a certain level of privilege, the only way you can see is like going up. So you see the problems, but you don't look down. You don't see like all the achievements that you have actually. And so since I was not I wouldn't say like I was like I had not as much privilege as people from Monterrey, but In Monclova there are less opportunities and less like variety of things like so I would see Monterrey from like Monterrey was in my perspective of above and I would say like like what I would notice is that they were like oh like here it's terrible like people don't don't listen people don't like like you could experience this or that and i have experienced like hate crimes in monterrey like i've had my instances of of being called the f word and being called like terrible things or having terrible things done to me 
because of who I am. And people having an issue with it. Uh, but I, a part of me was always like, I'm okay with taking this as long as I don't have to go back. Because I know if I go back, I won't have, like, you know, I was, like, I would say I was, like, grasping this, like, support group that I had found. Because it was a big support group, and it was a support group in which I would find myself comfortable of being and acting and doing things that represent who I am. But still, that that doesn't mean that in, I would say, like, oh, Monterrey is so progressive. It's not. <laughs> like yeah it's really not like even though in my head I'm like I'm like it's better that doesn't mean it's great it still has like Monterrey still has a long way to go and Monclova also has a long way to go but I I would say I was like comfortable like I was I would say I was like okay with the with the level of like homophobia because it was not that big or like the biphobia was not as hard on me as it would be in a, in my hometown so I was willing to like keep up with it or like just like have it happen and just like sit still look pretty it's okay like don't worry and the thing is I sh I realized like later like because of the pandemic I was thinking about it and I was like, you know what? I don't deserve that. I don't, like, no one does. No one deserves to be like, like, okay, I'm not treating, I'm not being treated as I deserve here, but maybe it's not as bad as it was before. So I, so I'm gonna say, like, this place is better. Like, yes, maybe this place is better, but it's not, I shouldn't be okay with being, like, occasionally hate crimed. You know, it like as a as a person, I should demand being treated as I deserve and being accepted for who I am, because honestly, it doesn't harm or affect or like threaten the existence of anyone else. Like if if your existence threatens the existence of someone else, maybe there's an issue, but like the only scenario in which I can think like your existence threatens like the existence of someone else is being a Nazi, like <laughs> being like an extremist of some sort or like, uh, like super homophobic or like being like super conservative where you, where you, you like go to the point in which it, of like, if you don't fit the white religious heterosexual cisgender stereotype then you should die like that is a danger to society because very few people fit that like fit that description and that's really interesting because i think when we talk about descriptions we also talk about labels and you know these tags that people well not people but heteronormal people or heterosexual people demand everyone has yeah and at some point, like, we've been taught, like, you know, it's natural. People want to be, able, like, we as humans label things in order to understand them. Putting a label on, on things is what makes us feel more comfortable with them. Like, to, like, comprehend them at some, in some sense, at least. Because if you don't have the ability to, like, name something, you don't understand it. It's like, 
for example, in the scale of the universe, like we don't know what, like what ninety five percent of the universe is made of is made up of, so we call that dark matter. But since we already gave it a label, dark matter, we know that it's something. So it's not hyper scary. It's like it's not. It's some okay words. I have to verbalize. <laughs> it's like once you add the concept, like if I told you, like we only know five percent, like what five percent of the universe is, then like ninety five percent of the universe, we have no idea what it could be. Nothing. It that sounds scarier than saying five percent of the universe is regular matter. And the rest of the universe, it's either dark matter or dark energy. Since we already put a label on that, we're like, okay, dark matter, dark energy, like there's something. It's not just void. I think that's maybe what, like, what brings people fear, when it when it comes to like, diversity, because people feel like like it's something that they they maybe they don't understand. Like, if I can't label you as anything, and you don't fit like a certain criteria of behaviors then who are you like what are you i don't get it get out of my house and the thing is we as humans are so complex that no matter how many labels you put on someone you won't be able to fully describe them at all you have to like get you have to like actually get to know the person and like If you're gonna put them, uh, like, if you so desperately need a label, it shouldn't be like, oh, like, this person is white, gay, Buddhist. It should be more like, this person is, like, this person, like, I am me. My label is, and for me, my label is just my name. I would say, like, my name or, like, who I am. By name, I don't mean necessarily what your parents gave you, like, when you were born. It could be, like, if you choose to change your name for any reason, whether you feel more comfortable with another name or, like, you just think, like, oh, my, this name is gonna be so much more fun. Whatever it is, whatever you identify with, that's, I, I think, like, the only label that us humans, like, should consider is the one that identifies us as us as me i'm not just the i'm not just bisexual or i'm not just in the bisex in the bipan spectrum i am me like and i and it involves a lot more things it involves like me playing chess it involves me like in cooking it involves me studying architecture it involves me um hating mayonnaise like it, it involves so much that just trying to like define me by certain labels just in order to like fit a category in someone's book that's just not gonna work and if you try to like push that agenda of like you have to fit in my notebook you f you have to fit in like some set of norms well no one does no one can because the norms are just like tailored for very specific people. And I love that. I think you're raising a really interesting point where we are made up of so many experiences of the things we like. We're like a collection of everything that has happened to us and everything that we want to do and hope for, that it's impossible to just fit it into categories just to please the people around us, to try for them to understand us better. 
So in the Spanish episode, we were talking also about what you mentioned was biphobia. I was wondering if we could talk a little bit more about this in this episode. Yes. In my experience, biphobia, I've seen it as the rejection of, well, in, like, in general, it's like the rejection or hatred towards bisexual people. And in the ways in which I've seen this is like in the hiding or gatekeeping of bisexual bisexuality as a whole. A lot of people assuming that, oh, bisexuality is not a thing. And I'm like, oh, it is very much a thing. <laughs> and I've had a lot of people tell me like to, to my face, like, no, that's not a thing. Like, why, like, why don't you just choose? And like, who says I have to choose one scoop of ice cream? If I want to buy both, if I want to buy all the ice cream, I can buy all the ice cream and you, you have no say in what ice cream I want at any given time. The, and, I, and it goes back to like what I was telling you a little bit ago, like a little while ago, which is that people want to fit you in like a category. So it's like, but like everything that comes from the, the bipan spectrum in some people's heads, it challenges the spectrum of what do they like or, or what, like, what are they attracted to? What is their sexual or, like, orientation? They're trying to put just like one, one box, like just like men or women. And the thing is, that's not uh, like, that's impossible because you're already like, biphobia is very tied to transphobia and the hatred of non-binary people. Because it's like people are trying to assume that you're attracted to someone because of their gonads, because of their genitals. And it's so not that. <laughs> it shouldn't be that. Like, if you're just attracted, like, it's fair if you say, like, you know, I'm attracted to, like, you know, like, I prefer, uh, like, I prefer vaginas or I prefer penises. Like, fair enough. But that's not the sexual orientation of someone. Like, if you're gonna say, like, I'm gonna. I feel attracted to only cisgender men. That's not okay. That's terrible. That's transphobic, and that's also, in some spe- like in some sense, I could da- like I dare say like biphobic also because it's like you're focusing merely on the genitals and you're not focusing on like mainly the person. The ways in which uh like how I've experienced biphobia personally are that I've been told like several times like okay you have to choose like what like what would you choose like what percentage is it I'm like that percentage is none first of all none of your business second I I don't know like how would I define a percentage it's not like I'm gonna it's not like I say like it's it's 80 20 so I've been like I've had a crush on four guys this month. Now I have to have a crush on a girl. It'll work. Like, it's gonna be like clockwork. Like, on May 5th, I'm gonna have a crush on a girl. And it's so not gonna happen (laughs) because that's not how sexuality works. That's not how you being attracted to someone else works. I I will also say, like, other misconceptions that people have is between bisexuality and pansexuality. And I think that main difference like i i get it it's kind of like similar but i feel like it, it goes down to like what you identify with most as 
as what I understand from pansexuality, it's the the point of pansexuality is that you're not attracted merely to like someone's gender. Like gender is not like the main focus of things. It's just like you see it more of a characteristic, I think. And bisexuality is being attracted to two or more genders. For example, I I do I identify more with the bisexuality label per se because it to me it's something that I can like like something that I have identified with for so long and also like you know I I do find for me gender sometimes it does come to be like an important part of a person and but I wouldn't say like it's only men or women it could also be like someone from the in the non-binary spectrum it could be someone who is a gender it could be so like it I'm not gonna limit myself to like it's gonna sound kind of weird or like maybe bad, but I w- I'm not gonna limit myself to chocolate or vanilla. I can like strawberry too and mang and like chocolate chip too and walnut too. I don't think it sounds weird, but it did come to my mind this. I don't know if it's a slur or something, but like this thing that usually resonates with. And I feel it's to invalidate bisexuality and it goes back to biphobia, which is, oh, you're just bi-curious, you know, like you're curious at the moment, but you're like really gay or lesbian or whatever, but you're not like it doesn't exist. Yeah. Or like they're like, like you're spicy straight or like spicy gay. And like, what do you mean spicy straight or spicy gay? Like, how does that even work? How does that even work? And I've had people tell me like, like, people are like, oh, yeah, I'm straight, but I wouldn't mind, like, having sex with a dude. I'm like, do you not understand, like, the concept of bisexuality? Like, you can also be just sexually attracted to people. There's a thing being, like, sexually, att- like sexual attraction and romantic attraction. And people think, like, it's so, like, it's extremely, like... They think like they're both the same, like they're both very intertwined and they're not. You can like you can have a romantic attraction, you can have a sexual attraction. There's people who have who might have a romantic attraction, but no sexual attraction. Like that's some of some asexual people. That's what they experience. And there are people who may not experience romantic attraction to anyone at all. But they do experience the sex, the sexual attraction, so, like, there's that, <laughs> and you can be, you can have a fun mixture of both. And any mixture, any like scenario is valid, and it's okay. Just, just be safe and don't harm anyone in the process, or try your best to not be a terrible person in the process exactly and i want to ask you something but first i want to remind everyone that this is like specifically from your point of view and your perspective why do you think people talking specifically about the society we live in in mexico in monterrey or even moncloa why do you think people are so afraid of coming out because this is still a thing that i see which is people, like you said, like they have, they're willing to maybe sleep with somebody of the same gender, but they don't say, oh, I'm bisexual, you know, because of this, I would say fear. 
I think it comes mainly to the stigma, the the being judged, the the rejection that one might experience from people. And it is scary. When when I first like came out, to me it was scary. Like I came out to the first time I came out I was 12 and I came out to my cousin. Her name is Valeria. If you're listening to this, hi girl. And I didn't come out to anyone else until I was like before I left to Mon- to Monterrey and I came out to one of my best friends from here, Moncloa. And the thing is, I only came out to both of them because I was sure, like I felt comfortable with them knowing. But then um the thing is when someone you don't feel comfortable with or someone who you don't know figures it out or like like it like receives the information it is scary because you don't know how they're going to react because of all the stigma that we have been taught through generations and generations of of like homophobia being a thing and like being kind of like the norm so as i was telling like as we were discussing before since Monterrey, for example, in my perspective, in my experience, Monterrey and Moncloa, they're both, like, quite homophobic. I wouldn't say the most homophobic of the, in the country, but definitely not super progressive. And so it is scary and it is, you know, uh, a threat at some point being to come out because... People might see you as a target or people might see you as like something that goes against the norm. And in some cases, it does put people's lives in danger. It ha- There's a case of uh, someone from Jalisco who was murdered for being gay. And when I was seeing it in the news, it turns out that the the police were trying to solve the case as a femicide. And I just, like, my heart sank because it's like, they're gonna, they, they are gonna judge it, they want to judge it as a femicide because the person is feminine, but not a woman. Like, they're like, oh, because of his feminine behavior, it's like, it must be because, like, because of that, so a femicide. I'm like, oh no, oh no. Like, it's, it's almost as if they were laughing at everyone's face because of that I, like I, I did feel it like it was very offensive that specific case so like it comes to that like how willing or how accepting is my community and if it if it is a safe environment and most times we it's not like we know or we we know it is or we know that it isn't we don't know we don't know what people think we don't know what people have like what their opinion is on the matter so it's like sometimes it's a, it's a threat that we don't want to take or that or like I don't need to feel like I would rather still be like I would rather have nobody know than to put a possible threat on my life. And now that we're heading towards the end of the episode, is there something that you'd want to tell 
people in general that are listening, whether straight or part of the community? Yes. So if you're straight and homophobic or biphobic or transphobic or any sort of if you hate in any sense any part of the lgbtq plus community first of all uh go to hell <laughs> like how dare you what what the hell is wrong with you uh and i will keep wishing you the worst until you change your perspective your perspective i hope this episode helps you change your perspective and understand that we like we the people that are part of the lgbtq plus community we are humans and we have our pretty side and our ugly side and our terrible side we have all sides of any person because we are still humans and we deserve to be treated as such. We deserve to be treated as humans, as people. And for anyone who might not be part of the LGBTQ plus community, but they are allies of the community, thank you so much. We really appreciate uh, your support and defending us even when it could, like, it could drag you into the issue as well. Like, that, like that's a big... Sometimes it is a big responsibility for someone. We appreciate your work. I'm not going to say, like, you're like you're a hero. No, you're not really a hero. You're being human. You're doing the bare minimum. But I really want to appreciate at least the bare minimum. Like, thank you for, <laughs> thank you for your work. And if you're part of the LGBTQ plus community and you don't feel like it's an okay time to come out, or you feel like you you might be in danger. If you don't feel comfortable, don't force it. You don't have to come out. Uh, you don't need to let everyone know if you don't want everyone to know. I don't care letting people know because I feel like it's a part of me that I enjoy expressing and that uh, I see that a lot of times people try to like hide it or like close it off and I like to be so aggressively myself because it's a constant reminder that no matter what they do no matter how how many times people try to like knock me down I'm still here I'm still gonna be here so might as well you just start dealing with it <laughs> but if you if you feel like you might be in the wrong for being who you are you're not. It's okay. If Again, if you don't feel comfortable coming out still, it's okay. Give yourself the time to process maybe if, you've, if you are waiting to like leave your hometown or go to a more accepting place in the future to be really who you are. I wish you get to do that as soon as possible and that you that you be able to be who you are in peace. Uh, you are loved, you are respected. And if anyone, no matter what, who they are or what they are to you, uh, tries to diminish that part of you, being you who you are or what you think or what you believe in, um, 
I just want you to know that there's someone always there. I'm here. We're here. And we are real. And we will keep fighting for you being able to be who you are, anywhere you want to be, however you want to be. And so just be who you are. And th this is for, every for everyone who is listening. Be who you are. Let people be who they are. And embrace everyone else as long as it doesn't actually harm someone else. If we can have everyone's integrity be respected and everyone's humanity be respected, we should all embrace and applaud all the different flavors and all the different colors of humanity that we not not exactly that we create but that we are able to have to be and we should embrace everyone for who they are and for what they are in order to strive for a for a better place in the world i love it that was a very powerful message so antonio i want to thank you so much for having this space to taking the time for having this recording not just the english but the spanish episode and for being so op open and honest about your story, your experiences, and about everything you said for the people who are listening. So thank you so much. You're a person that I really admire, I really look up to, and I believe you're a beautiful person inside and out. So thank you so much just for even existing. Thank you so much to you too. Thank you for inviting me, for giving me the opportunity, the platform, the space to say what I want to say, think, like, to be able to think freely and I I really admire what you do with this podcast and to open up the doors for everyone to at least say a little bit of their of their peace of mind and yeah I, I really appreciate the opportunity thank you for everything that you do for being the great person that you are and I'll see you soon <laughs>